To start this morning, I'd like to take you to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, where it says this, If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and listen to His voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. And in verse 25 of that passage, it says this, But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king shall be swept away. This morning, we're looking at a subject that I will revisit sometime later this summer before we have uh, election because we will deal with how as a Christian do I face the political realms around me? What do I do? What is my responsibility as a Christian? We'll come back to this, but obviously, in the past week or so, a statement was made. First time a statement like this was ever made by a president of the United States. Very short, I support gay marriage. Never been done by a, a, a preacher. A preacher, I don't believe I just did that. I, there are preachers that actually do that. Sorry, that is not what. It's never been done by a president before. I'll get it out. Uh, before in the history of the United States. While it has no political teeth, it sets a tone for a nation. Obviously the highest political office. When a person in a position makes a statement, it does have an impact. Just like a pastor or anyone else, if a CEO of a company makes a statement, has a whole lot more impact than a regular day-to-day -day employee would make. For us, it's something that needs to be dealt with. The whole way back in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 2, it made, God made it very clear in verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Notice what he did not say. He did not say he was going to make a helper like him. He was going to make a helper that was complementary, was different but compatible with him. He goes on to say in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 2, And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Notice it doesn't say that he fashioned the rib into another man, but he fashioned the rib into a woman. And it goes on for there to say, And the man now said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Not because she is a man, she was taken out of the man. And it ends with this. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. From the very beginning, marriage was never man's institution. God, God is the one that ordained it. God is the one that brought it into this world. Man did not invent it. As you would hear it today by not only those in politics, but those in society as, as law, in, at large, you would think that marriage is a man-made institution that we didn't quite get right and we need to tweak it a little bit. No, we need to tweak it a lot and make it something it never was. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, took this same passage and made it clear. 
You see, we believe the Bible not simply because it is true and proves itself true and it's historically and scientifically and everything else correct. Those are all true statements. But we believe the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, because Jesus Christ himself verified it for us. In fact, as he went back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, when they asked him questions about divorce and remarriage, he went back there and this is what he said in Matthew chapter 19, thus verifying what the Old Testament said from the very beginning. He said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? That's Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And then he goes on to quote Genesis chapter 2, And for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Marriage is God's design. We have no right, we shouldn't have any inclination even, to change anything about it. Because God designed it, and what God designs is absolutely perfect. There's nothing you can do to make it better. In fact, anytime you mess with it, you know you're going to nuts it up. It's going to get worse, and it's going to become something God never intended to be. If you haven't been at Garden Chapel very long, you may not know this, but most of you do. I believe there are at least four, three issues that we as a church and individual Christians need to confront in our society. I believe they're important. I believe that our votes, our conversation, our lives, our money, whatever it happens to be, needs to be in these directions. The first one may not surprise you, but it's abortion. Why abortion? Simply this, if life, all human life, is not valuable, every other subject we talk about, including the gospel, really doesn't mean anything because human life doesn't have value. And so abortion from conception to natural death is God's design and it shows that God values human life. We need to take a stand for that because everything we do as ministry or anything a government does or a society does really means nothing if life is not valuable. The second one is the subject of the morning, and that is marriage because marriage is the building block and the stability of every society, of every church, of every culture. It is that core unit. Remember, God designed marriage, and it is the only institution that was brought into this world before man fell into sin. It was for man's good, not just simply to cover for sin. When you think about it, that's why government was brought in, because man sinned. The church was brought in because Israel didn't do its job. And so we look at this, and marriage is just important. It's the stability of any society, any church, any culture. Of course, the last one is creation. You go, how does that one fit? Creation fits this way. Because if you evolved here and you're here by chance, you don't have to answer to God. Creation says there is a creator who is greater than you. He brought you into existence, and you answer to your master. And so whether it's accountability or stability or value, we need to take a stand. This morning, we are going to just look at the second one. 
If you've read anything in the Bible at all, you know that God is not in favor of immorality of any sort. Along with that, homosexuality is not from God. Same-sex marriage is not of God. And I will propose to you today several times in this sermon, standing idly by while our society, our culture, and the church continues in a downhill slide in this direction. If we stand idly by, that is not of God. God has absolutely ordained that we, as those who have trusted Jesus Christ, as individuals and as a church, we are to be salt and light. We are to have an impact in the society around us. No ifs, ands, or buts. The passage we looked at earlier dealt with Israel and the king. Now, I know that someone in a position of authority, a president, a king, a pastor, it doesn't matter where they are, if they have a position of authority, they have a lot of sway. They have a lot of say, and it carries some impact. But it says that those that they govern in this case... If they will live according to the Lord's command, it makes a difference. Because those in authority can say, we can do whatever we want. If nobody stands up, if nobody is counted, if no one speaks up. My proposal to you today, and uh, we will deal with this subject several times in the future. We're not going to cover all of it today. But on Wednesday night, I had a question. How do you deal with my coworkers, how do I witness to them? What do I do? Do I witness to them? Do I let them alone? Do I speak up? Do I, what do I do? We're going to discuss that on Wednesday night. So if you'd like to be a part of that discussion, show up Wednesday night for our prayer meeting Bible study time. Uh, the next time I teach on a Sunday night, which won't be tonight, we are going to look at why is the government involved in this? Why isn't it just a church thing, a Christian thing about this marriage and let the government do whatever they want? I will propose to you that um, from the very beginning it was God's idea, but under law there are all kinds of restrictions and all kinds of defining uh, parts of marriage that God made clear under the Old Testament external restraint of the law. And so the law has always been a part of that. The law in the New Testament also recognizes um, the validity of marriage. But as we look at this, has marriage really evolved? Is it evolving? Because that's the, what I've heard. Marriage is evolving. Our opinion should evolve. I believe God has given us a very specific definition. We will talk about definitions also here in, as we go along. But marriage is, by its very definition that God has given us in His Word, and all societies that have lasted have stuck in essence, to this definition of marriage. Those that allowed other forms of marriage, and I hate to even use that, other forms of unions, um, have crumbled from the inside, Rome being the classic example. But marriage is the union of one man and one woman in a committed, this is not just we live together, it is a committed relationship. There is something that's binding. There's a vow. There's a covenant. There's a contract that designates that. It is comprehensive. Comprehensive simply means this. It impacts and affects every area of your life. Not just, okay, I'm not going to be hanging out with uh, and sleeping with somebody of the opposite sex. 
none of those kinds of things. It's way more than that. And it's a complementary relationship. As I already mentioned, uh, it's not two men. It's a man and a woman. It's two that are different. By way of illustration, uh, my wife and I are op- obviously the opposite gender. Uh, she's so much better looking and all that, and there's obvious she's a woman, I'm not. But you know what? We're different in other ways too, complementary ways. I've said it before, she, we, we both agree with it. I'm function. It's got to work, and it's got to work good. She's form. It's got to work. That she expects from me, but it's got to look good also. Now, I'll tell you what. If you got us on a roll and we're working together, stay out of our way because it's going to work and it's going to look good. On the other hand, if we don't agree, we're going to butt heads, and we have butted heads over these things already, you know? And that's okay. When we're done, if we're both in the right mind and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to have control in our lives, it's a much better end product. But marriage is a complementary one. It's not just the same. Two different people, two different genders. And it is completed by the kind of activity that may result in the conception of a child. Not all marriages are going to have children. I understand that. But the possibility is there. Same-sex marriage, that is not a possibility. God has designed marriage and the genders in a very specific way for specific purposes. In fact, it is in Genesis chapter 1, after he talked about them being created male and female, he said they were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the world. And that's what, of the earth. And that's what he said. When you take those possibilities out, you have something very different than what marriage was from the very beginning. And it can never really change, but people can try that. In fact, is when we try to codify the indistinguishability of genders, we have something that rubs completely against everything that we know as the laws of this universe, which obviously God put into um, existence from the very beginning. God said this is the way it should be. In fact, is I never saw this till about a week and a half, maybe a week ago. I'd never, I've known this, but it wasn't something that really hit me. Think about this. We get to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesian church in chapter 5. He is talking about the marriage relationship, and he is emphasizing to the husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife, etc. And as the church uh, being uh, as a Uh, the, the wife represented by the church, submissive to Christ. Think about this. If you have same sex marriage, you have as Christ is to Christ, or the church is to church. It makes no sense, logically, practically, or biblically. It just doesn't make any sense. Apostle Paul's reasoning was totally off if that's the case. Anything that legalizes immoral, sinful or deviant behavior is simply watering down what God has said. You say, does our government, does our society, does our culture define what is sinful or deviant or any of those things? The answer is no, God has done that. But I know from the scripture, and I know practically, that those 
who take the biblical principles and put them into practice, whether they're codified in law or, or just in the uh, society itself. Those are the ones that have prosperity in every possible way and the joy that comes from things being done in God's way. In fact, is there are people, and the only reason I, I struggled uh, back and forth whether I was going to preach this sermon today or not, but uh, I have just found out, and it doesn't take but uh, opening your ears for a few days, and you find out that even Christians, strong Christians, are sometimes confused on this subject because they listen to the logical and rational logic uh, and the rationalizations of people around them. They go, "Well, yeah, isn't this about the discrimination or uh, equal rights and you know civil rights and those kinds of things?" The answer is no. That is blurring the issue. It's not about that. This is about redefining an institution that has existed since the beginning of the world and making our culture, our land, or our world a very different place. It's not about politics. It's about an issue. And that issue is bigger than any institution. And here's the other thing, and this is the saddest of all, is there are churches that actively promote homosexuality and same-sex marriage. There are others who sit idly by and say nothing. I don't want to be counting any of the, either of those numbers. And I don't want you to either. Let's just take something. I just read it, and uh, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but almost half of the Christians who are eligible to vote simply don't vote. How in the world can you fulfill 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, and have an impact. How can you guide our society to make sure that we continue in a godly way, a way that honors and glorifies God and works out our lives in a God-honoring way? If we don't do that, uh, we're in trouble. In fact, as I've used this before, so if you've heard it before, but you know, can no longer define marriage as only having one gender as you can have chocolate chip cookies and take the chocolate chips out. It just doesn't make any sense because marriage is what it is, a man and a woman in a union. I'd like to take you on a little journey of history. This history is in my adult lifetime just to understand, because you might be here as, ah, is this a big deal? Do we need to worry about it? Is it something I should be adamant about? Should I have some passion for this? Should I stand up? Should I take a stand? Should I use my life to make a difference? I believe when you see the history starting in 1973, you will understand why I am adamant and why I cannot back down on this, because I see a general direction. I am not a conspiracy theorist. I am not one who looks at everything as a, a downhill slide, a slippery slope argument. But in this case, we have a track record that the slope is absolutely steep and slippery. Let me show you what I mean. In 1973, the American Psychiatric Association declared that homosexuality was no longer a mental illness. 
In other words, they were saying it wasn't something that you should attempt to change. It wasn't something that was deviant. It was normal. That was in 1973. I wasn't married yet. That was, I was engaged. I wasn't even married yet. And they made that. That sets a tone. Keep that up. That's not, that has nothing to do with politics. In the late 70s, the Centers for Disease Control began noticing and tracking a disease that they had never really encountered much before. They didn't even have a name for it. We call it HIV AIDS today. But they found that gay males were contracting something that compromised their immune system. They didn't even know what it was at that point. And they began to track it. We now know it, as I said, as HIV AIDS. And the truth of the matter is, in our country, it is still predominantly a disease that is of gay males. In other parts of the world, for Afri Africa, for example, it is heterosexual also. Simply this, it is transmitted and transferred to the next person by sexual contact. But it first came out in gay, gay ma uh, males, and uh, there were all kinds of things done, and safer sex and all these kinds of things. In 1986, the United States Supreme Court stated that all the states may criminalize sexual behavior. Consensual or not, they could criminalize it. You go, wow, that's a positive thing. You could say something is sinful or wrong or not good for society, and you could back it up with a judicial penalty. Sounds good, right? Keep, keep in mind. In 1996, then-President Clinton signed into law the Defense of Marriage Act. It is not a constitutional amendment. But it is a statute on our federal laws that simply says marriage is a union between one man and one woman. And that sounds good too, right? Sounds good, okay? You know, 03, the United States Supreme Court made all state sodomy laws invalid. Exactly the opposite of what happened in 1986. They said you cannot criminalize any kind of deviant, or unnatural sexual activity. Wipe them all out with one decision. 2009, I told you we had a sitting president who said, I support gay marriage. We had a sitting vice president do it before. By the way, he was of the other party, for that matter. So you know this is not political motivated. This is issue motivated. But President Cheney, our Vice President Cheney, endorsed, publicly endorsed and said that he agreed with gay marriage back in 2009. Then in the last couple of years, while the Defense of Marriage Act is still the law of the land, our president said and ordered the, uh, the Department of Justice no longer to defend the Defense of Marriage Act because he said he believes it's unconstitutional. Okay, notice we wobbled around there for a while, and you're going to find out that these last couple, they all go downhill. We've had, as the law of the land, also put into law by President Clinton back when he was in office, uh, don't ask, don't tell. If you don't know what it was, uh, simply this, is that gays and lesbians could serve in the military, but they were not going to ask you that and you weren't supposed to tell anybody, and as long as you didn't get found out or you didn't openly practice, you could serve in the military. I don't like that, but that was the law of the land. Now, that has been repealed. 
And in reality, it is now open season. You can be openly gay or a lesbian and still serve in our military. It causes all kinds of confusion and problems. Of course, I said within the last week or so, uh, we now have a president who said, I support gay marriage. As of today, as of this month, 30 of our states have put to their electorate the opportunity to vote on a state constitution. 30 of them have voted and said, we want a constitutional amendment that says marriage is one man, one woman in that union, and only that will be defined as marriage. There are 12 other states that have a statute, just like Pennsylvania being one of them, that has its own Defense of Marriage Act. But here's the problem. In all of those cases, the electorate voted and said, we want state constitution. In all of the states that allow gay marriage, same-sex marriage, every one of them was done by a judge or a legislator, not the will of the people. Pennsylvania does not have a state constitution. We'll talk about that in the future again. I've talked about it in the past. We will bring that back up. The truth of the matter is, we have opportunity to stand up and speak up and speak out. We have an opportunity to have an impact. I challenge you, whether it's personal or political or whatever way, we need to stand up for what God says is good and right. In fact is, five days ago, our president said he is now in favor of repealing the Defense of Marriage Act, the federal one. Didn't happen yet. And today, I'm challenging you. Sorry, I'm challenging you. You're on notice, do something, or you get the status quo. I gotta tell you, I don't need to defend the status quo or, or hound on it, simply look at the direction. If you don't like that direction, you better stand up and be counsel. That's all I can tell you. That's what God wants us to do. By the way, I already mentioned about the definition of marriage. Definitions do matter. There's the old saying that arose by any other name would still smell so sweet. That comes from something Shakespeare wrote. That's true. Not, nothing really wrong with that. But the opposite is not true. Because if I took a poison ivy plant and I called it a rose and I said, close your eyes, I got something for you and put it in your hand, you put it up to your nose to smell it because you thought it was a rose because I called it a rose and you're allergic to it, you could be in the hospital. In fact, is, uh, some of these things can be life-threatening to people. Truth of the matter is, if you call marriage by something else, it's still something else. It's not marriage. And we need to make sure that we know that definitions do count. In fact, is it's said in the debate, whoever controls the definition controls the debate, and they're not too far off. In my adult lifetime, since I've been a believer, the definition of tolerance. By the way, God is very clear that we are to be a loving and tolerant people. There's no doubt about that. In fact, is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, it says this, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And it, there are plenty of other places we can look at that same principle. This one will suffice for this morning. We are to be a loving and tolerant people. No doubt about it, God tells us to do that. But the traditional definition of tolerance is the one in front of you now. It's the one that you probably grew up with. 
Unless you're younger, you didn't grow up with this one. But tolerance simply has to do with to recognize and put up with, that's tolerate somebody, or value another person regardless of the differences in beliefs or practices, but without necessarily agreeing, sharing, or liking their beliefs or practices. That's tolerance. That's what the word has always meant. Guess what? The definition, you won't find it in the dictionary, but the one that is accepted and used and spelled out today in practicality is this one. Only a few words different, but it makes all the difference. To recognize and value another and their beliefs or practices. Notice, they take the issue and make it part of the person. And that's just simply not the definition, biblical definition or practical definition of tolerance. Regardless of how misguided, illogical, or sinful they may be, and never speak against that position. That's where the political correct thing comes out. It's like, you can say, uh, you can't say, I believe homosexuality is wrong or same-sex marriage is not marriage at all because you're a homophobe. You're a hater. You just don't love people. How can you call yourself a Christian? What's going on? If you, if you don't know that, you're under a rock someplace. My job is to wake you up, challenge you today. Because that is where we're going. By the way, the only exception there is Christianity or being a Christian. Because, well, you take a stand. That you, you can be not tolerated. That's the way the world looks at it. But moving on, let's look at what God says. First of all, God makes it clear, and we already looked at the passage, that heterosexual marriage is his original de decree. He is the one that decided it. We've already looked at uh, Genesis chapter 2. And it's very clear that it is a man and a woman. I'm not going to go back over it because God says, that's my original plan. Anything other than that is not okay by me. It is not what I have decided. That is not how I created you. That is not the purpose I created marriage. It's something very different. Jesus Christ, as I already mentioned, said the same thing. He quoted from the Old Testament. But he went on to say, because the disciples in that exchange in Matthew chapter 19, they were taken back. The, 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 the original question had to do with divorce and remarriage and all those kinds of things. And after he gave them his answer, that was pretty much black and white, straightforward, here's the way it is, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That's what he said. And the disciples in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 19 said, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. Because they were taken back. They had been given a kind of a, a wishy-washy, watered-down version of what marriage was. And he is telling them, no, it's one man and one woman for one lifetime. And that's the way, that's God's original plan. And they're like, whoa, if marriage is that, that serious, maybe, maybe we, nobody should get married. And Jesus went on to tell them, no, and I'm not quoting here, but no, not everybody will accept that statement. In other words, most people aren't going to say, well, I'd rather not get married. He said there are some, the next verse says, yeah, there are some for various reasons, don't get married. They remain single and celibate. Nothing wrong with that. He's not saying that's wrong. He's just saying that's not the normal. 
It's not the natural thing to do, but most people will want to be married. But yes, he was affirming marriage is serious business, and it is from a, by a man and a woman. And as I mentioned before, the Apostle Paul, without a doubt, uh, came in on this subject several different places uh, in his writings. One of them I, I already mentioned, Ephesians chapter 5, but 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is another one of those passages. And it says this, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. He, and again, he said, you know what? It's okay not to get married. It's okay to be celibate. It's okay. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. But because of immoralities, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. And then he goes on to talk about the duties of marriage. The point is, whether it was the Old Testament prophets, whether it's the New Testament Jesus Christ, or whether it's the epistles to the churches, God is adamant. His plan is the only plan. He hasn't changed his mind. No, no, and no, marriage isn't evolving. It's the same as it always was. Heterosexual marriage is God's plan. Heterosexual marriage also has nature on its side. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Simply this is that nature absolutely reveals that there are distinct distinctions between the genders, and they are complementary. This is not Mr. Potato Head, where you can take and put a nose on and one ear here and another ear and mix and match and do whatever you want. Remember Mr. Potato Head? They still make that? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But you know what? The point is, we don't have the, we are not given the opportunity by God to mix and match and just do whatever we want. That's not God's plan. He has decreed and he hasn't changed his mind. And nature itself says marriage has value. Part of that value, not the only value, but part of that value is the propagation of the race, the population of this world, and an opportunity for children to grow up. Some of you, my heart goes out to you, and I, I deal with it, is some of you by choice or by somebody else's choice are a single parent. That's a tough place to be. And by the way, if you know people that are single parents and, and you've, got your, you, you've got opportunity, help them. Please help them. Because it's a tough place to be. But if we codify and say, you know, it's okay to have two of the same gender. Well, that's still two people. It's still not a mom and a dad. Still no role models to show our children how to live and how to interact and, and how what their role in society and family is. Traditional marriage is still the best for children. It just simply is. I don't need to have a uh, tell you that just from the Bible. All the surveys and all the research that's been done from the world says, no, it's still the best. Children thrive even better. And that's why I said, please do not go out of here and be mad at me because you're a single parent. No, understand, my heart goes out to you because it's tough. And I'm challenging the rest of you, help, you know, help them because it is absolutely necessary. As I already mentioned, um, okay, 
heterosexual marriage, I'm, I'm way behind on my slides, sorry about that. Uh, heterosexual marriage is the building block of all society. It is where our children learn, where our children understand that there are differences. They learn how to deal with those differences. They see all the, rather, the, the, the horrible things that go on around, and they learn from both a mother and a father, a male and a female, how to deal with that. I can tell you, raising children, my way of dealing with kids sometimes was very different than my wife's. Looking at the exact same situation, I'm not telling you one was right or wrong. I'm just telling you they were different. But put together, it gives them a balance in how that works. And it gives our children the opportunity to look and see the world in a bigger perspective. One of the classic passages on marriage is from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where it says this. Or I'm sorry, verse 4. <clears throat> marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. Now, I'll tell you what, very short verse, but it's really pointed. He says that marriage is valuable. That's what the word honor means. It's valuable. It's precious. And he says that anyone who is defiling this relationship is someone that God will judge. And then he uses two things. He uses two words. He used the word fornication or sexual immorality. It's the Greek word pornea. It is any misuse of sexuality. It's any sex outside of the marriage bond. He says God will judge. And adulterers, obviously, that word, uh, by definition, simply means to be unfaithful. You're unfaithful not only to your spouse, but to the marriage vow uh, itself. He says, God will judge that. Homosexuality, from the scriptures, the Apostle Paul is very clear a number of places. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, uh, after he lists a whole list of sins, homosexuality being one of those, he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. What he makes clear is just because that has been a part of your life doesn't mean you need to stay there. In fact, is what he's making clear, when he, especially when he talks about justification, he is saying that Jesus Christ died so you don't have to live that way. You can change, and such were some of you. And he was looking at the Corinthian, writing to the Corinthian church and saying, yeah, I know what some of you were like. I know what you practiced. I know what you were like. You were immoral in every possible way. You were liars and cheats and stealing, and you were doing just about every possible thing you could do wrong. He says, and such were some of you. Notice it's the past tense. They could be changed. One of the things that goes today uh, is that, well, they were, somebody was born that way. If you're white, you were born that way. If you're black, you were born that way. If you're female, you were born that way. If you're male, you were born that way. But the truth of the matter is, when it comes to moral issues, we have a sin nature, and we're self-centered, and we do our own thing. And that's the essence of sin. But the truth of the matter is, when it comes to moral issues, we make choices. Nobody steals without putting their hand out and wrapping it around something. Nobody is immoral unless they got their hands on somebody else they shouldn't have it on, have them on. That's just the way it is. Nobody is an alcoholic because alcohol just 
somehow got in their system. They bent their elbow and they swallowed. They make choices. And in moral conditions, moral actions, it's, it's not something we were born with. We have a sin nature, which will tell you do whatever you want to do. But we have to make the choice to do it. That includes homosexuality as well as any other kind of sexual immorality. doesn't matter what kind it is. God says, no, I've died so that you can be changed. And I'm way behind on my slides again, so let me go ahead here. Okay, one last slide. This is what's being taught to us. And it's not a new thing. It didn't start last week. Love is not about gender. Guess what? They're right. You love your brothers and sisters. You love your children. You love your grandparents. You love your neighbors and your friends. But guess what? Love is not about gender because some of them are male and some are female. But here's what is true. Marriage is not simply about love. I sure hope you love the person you're married to. Absolutely, you're supposed to. But marriage is about two genders in one union. That's the difference. You love your dog, and some of you do, your pet, whatever it is. Maybe it's a cat in your case. You know what? You're not going to marry them just because you love your dog. And you're not going to marry your brother or sister. You're not going to marry your parents, but you can love them. That's not the issue. It's a smokescreen. The real issue is, what is marriage? How is it defined? What is it at its essence and its core? It is indeed one woman and one man in one relationship, one union, that's different than all the other relationships of life. No other is even close to like it. Why? Because God designed it for his purpose, for our good, and for the good of all of society. And so we need to take a stand. So what do I do? What, what, what am I supposed to do with all of this? Can I change the world? The answer is no, but you can light a candle. You know the old saying. You, you may not be able to change the whole world, but you can stand up one time. You can know what you believe. You can know what the Bible teaches. Without name-calling, without uh, anger, without the, the things that just cause arguments and cause division, we need to be able to stand up and speak up for what we know to be true. We need to take a stand when what God calls deviant and sinful is being promoted as the norm, either by legislation or by a culture or by a society. We need to stand up and we need to speak out. And we are absolutely, as with any other sin, any other circumstance, we need to reach out to people. As the Apostle Paul made very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we need to reach out and say, you know what? It's an issue. You don't, you don't like what I have to say? But you know what? You can change. You can change. Jesus Christ died for us. He died so all sin, not just some sins or certain sins or pet sins, can be saved, uh, 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 forgiven. And we can be saved from them. No, he died so all sin could be forgiven. We have a sin problem. We have a, an old nature that needs not remade, but we need a new nature, one that's stronger. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. We are to love others. We are to be tolerant. But in that love and tolerance, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it indeed does rejoice with the truth. We need to speak up. 
We need to stand up. We need to make whatever difference we can make as an individual and as a church. I'm sorry to say the church as a whole is pretty much failing. I challenge you. I don't want you and I don't want this church and I don't want me as the pastor of this church to be a part of that downhill slide as we see the evolution of marriage and we sit and do nothing we're just as guilty as the person permitting uh, permitting it and promoting it because we didn't stand up and do what we could do remember salt and light that's my goal let's stand together as we close in prayer <coughs> father these are never fun subjects to preach on but lord they're absolutely necessary because we look around us and we see our culture, we see our society, we just see the devastation that comes from the sin that's around us and just left to take its own course. Lord, I pray that we would be challenged and I believe encouraged to take a stand for what is good, for what is right, and what is biblical. Lord, help us to tactfully tolerantly and lovingly reach out to those around us so that they too could know the forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord so they could have a life that's worth living and a heaven worth looking forward to. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.